0: Hello and welcome to All Stats On, we are podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the first Jack Harrison goal of the podcast. Ooh, yeah! And today I'm joined by the second Jack Harrison goal of the podcast, Josh Hobbs. Ooh, yeah! And finally, the third Jack Harrison goal of the podcast. That's right, the third Jack Harrison goal of the podcast. Ooh, yeah! It's Joe Hill. Joe, how
1: are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm loving that intro. <laughs> it's nice to be here. It's been a while since I've been on. And obviously, it's always nice to come on after a win. We were just saying before we come on air that the whole mood has sort of shifted just two wins and, and it's all suddenly looking very different, especially with Newcastle coming up. So definitely feeling more positive at the moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um I'm not sure if my voice was really ready for those ooh but I apologise <laughs> to the listeners for that. But a man whose voice is always ready for ooh Josh Hobbs, how are you? <laughs>
2: yeah, good mate. As as Joe said, the uh it does feel like a bit of a transformed mood. Like if if you sort of go back to the feeling before the Burnley game where there was a like, oh, if we lose this, like this season could be like Absolutely unraveling it, it more so than it already kind of felt like it was, but obviously we get we get the win there and then let's sort of just skip over the FA Cup because you know we didn't really care that much, of it. <laughs> but um <laughs> then to follow that up um with it with uh, what we would say was an unexpected win although I think all of us probably felt that and I think other a few other people sort of said similarly that all the West Ham games felt close in terms of performance wise in the past but it's just it just never fell for us and and today I think the game played out fairly similarly um but this time some things went went our way so um yeah and that's that's transformed it and now if we can if we can get another win uh, against Newcastle Uh, this weekend then suddenly we've gone three in a row and we basically look like no one from below can catch us and we and we can start to think well maybe some players coming back might help us actually be a bit more solidified higher up the mid table than we maybe imagined so that that would be nice yeah so good
0: result good performance sun is shining what better time to talk about our patreon than now (laughs) Now that everyone's in a good mood, Uh, for those of you who don't know what a Patreon is, it is a it is an online platform which allows us to um, present content that that only our subscribers can see Uh, and we put out a lot of stuff on there so we put out videos we put out bonus podcasts uh, of various shapes and sizes we have a a 23s podcast that goes out out there we're doing a live Q&A podcast this week on Thursday at 8pm on our discord which is something else that you'll get access to as a patron Um, and we also put uh, video analyses of, of the game so Josh you will be doing a video analysis this week do you want to talk about that for a second
2: yeah, uh, I've been clipping together some stuff a bit earlier, um, looking looking specifically at Robin Koch, who um I think had his best game uh in the defensive midfield role uh yesterday. Um and so that's what I do every week. I do a player video every week. Um so yeah, join and, and get that. Yeah, and I will be doing a, a more tactical-focused one, probably
0: just looking at the way that we cre- created better chances uh, on Sunday. So, yeah, you get your fill of Rafinha there, I'm sure. And I have just put out the first of our Bielsa Successor video series up on there as well, focusing on Andoni Iriola, who is the manager of Rio Vallecano. Uh, it may seem a little bit uh, pessimistic to be talking about Bielsa Successors at this point in time, but we get asked a lot on this channel about who we think would be good uh, sorts of options for for potentially replacing Bielsa. And given he signs one year contracts, that's always a possibility. So, we're going to start going through those before the end of the summer um, so you can get a good sense of of what to look out for in terms of those. Anyway, enough of our Patreon. If you want to sign up to that, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we, and have a check out of some of the things that are going on over there. (laughs) Let's go back to the game. So, it was 3 2 win at West Ham. I'll summarize the game now 4 1 4 1 to match West Ham's 4 2 3 1. Although, Manuel Lanzini is probably sort of a bit more of a flexible player than Thomas Suchek, so it could have made this a little bit more like a 4 3 3 perhaps. Leeds had Pascal Strout back, uh, more on him later, and with Luke Ayling shifting across into the right centre back position, this allowed Robin Cock to play in that DM position that Josh was talking about with foreshore and click ahead of him. And the only real notable change then was that Stuart Dallas played in the right back role. The game started off well. Leeds were allowed to progress the ball in wide areas in the first moments of the game, and they caused a lot of joy for themselves in progressing down particularly the right hand side uh, and that obviously resulted in Jack Harrison's first goal when Rafinha got in behind Aaron Cresswell from this point on, West Ham pushed a little bit higher out of possession, put Leeds under more pressure in their build-up. They did score from a corner. There was also the problem of Leeds losing two players in quick succession as Adam Forshaw and Junior Firpo both went off. Despite that, Leeds rallied well and then they got a corner of their own and uh, enjoyed a few good chances in injury time in the first half as well. Um, and so it seemed worth their 2-1 their lead in uh, half-time. West Ham scored fairly early in the second half and had a sustained uh, stretch of pressure which Leeds weathered well uh, but then Jack Harrison got a third after a delightful three ball from Rafinha and West Ham lost their way a little bit and struggled to create too much in the way of dangerous chances after that point although they did start ramping up towards the end of the game and in the last play of the game they missed that guilt edge chance which I'm sure everyone is Traumatically buried in some part of the <laughs> psyche somewhere, um, with Jared Bowen chesting over from a couple of yards out. Oh, so that's the game summary for me. What we'll do now is we'll jump into the interrogation where I ask the other two guys uh, some questions about the performance, and we'll we'll talk about the big picture stuff. So let's start with you, Josh. Last week we lost in the London Stadium with a fairly disappointing performance. This week we won with a good performance. What changed in the course
2: of a week, Josh? Few different things. I think mostly to do with personnel more than anything else. Um, so West Ham's team was uh, was a bit different. Um, fullbacks were were both different. I think Soufal didn't didn't play in the FA Cup game. Cresswell certainly didn't. Um, and I think that Rafinha just was rubbing his hands as soon as he saw Cresswell. He's not an athletic enough uh, defender to deal with uh with Rafinha um so that really helped um and I also think that the change of Lanzini into midfield was a was very helpful to us too because out of possession he's just he's just nothing really like he's not physical he's not intense he's not pressy really um and so that even and and in fact even in in getting the ball I don't think he he doesn't drop and do the kind of things that you want someone in a in a double pivot to do, like he wants to be a 10, uh, really, or certainly a a more, the more modern interpretation uh, of a 10. Um, And so I think that allowed us to have a little bit more uh, of it in those areas, um, sort of the advanced midfield areas and Rafinha, if he drifted inside a bit, he was more free than, than he was uh, in the second half uh, when he came on last time. And obviously we started with a stronger team, um, although Bate and, and Yelde uh, both came on um, and and did well. Um, we started with a team that sort of set our tempo uh, and, and that obviously, you know, game state in, in that regard. We, we take a lead and then even though they come back and play well and score, we always... We're always taking the lead and they're always coming back at us instead of us starting with a with a worse team like we did last time and then subbing on our quote unquote better players. Yeah, and I
0: think that was one of the most impressive things about this performance, wasn't it, Joe, that, that Leeds just kept coming back and, and even under, I think, fairly intense pressure at times from West Ham, uh, particularly, I think, before the third goal, um, Leeds just kept coming back and the players kept looking for for that extra goal. It, it felt at times as though, particularly after 2-2 perhaps, that, that Leeds might just try and bed in and, and, and sit on on the draw and take it as a decent away point, but they kept on going. So what was your take uh, take on the on the performance from that point of view?
1: i mean it was it was so good to watch a performance like that because there was there were definitely times when I just thought we were going to crumble um when we conceded both of the goals, the immediate spell after I was just thinking, well, this is it, and especially when um like Josh just said, Forshaw sure, and furpo go off um it was it was not a good feeling at the time when I was watching um but actually this felt like one of those wins where we just really dig in. Um and I don't think we've really seen that in in recent times anyway. Um one of those games where we just put, put everything on the line. It, it was like the um the Blackburn game, it was five four in in a in a way where we were always taking the lead. Um so I think it's really good for us um to have a game like that because um as you said in the in the intro, in the summary, we we rallied and um, when we probably looked like we were going to crumble. So it's great.
0: Let's talk a little bit about chance creation. We talk about chance creation a lot on this podcast, particularly this season, where we've questioned the, the sorts of chances that are being developed and we've talked a lot about how important it is to hit bylines for for our attacking style of play and on Sunday we we did seem to click a lot in terms of these generating and and taking of chances so any thoughts on this Joe why do you think it was suddenly the case that a lot of the things that we've not been doing well this season just suddenly seem to click?
1: This is kind of a tough one to put my finger on because it seems like sometimes there's just an element of randomness as if it you know some some weeks it could work and some weeks it won't work and I'm I'm not exactly sure what the explanation is. I think some of it yesterday was down to Sucek not being there. Um as Josh mentioned the personnel uh, change for West Ham, I think it just allowed us that little bit more space and slightly more control in the midfield area. Um and then also the other the other element that I could think of was just Rafinha um creating so many chances. Basically all of the goals were were down to him. Um, even the one that was harshly given as offside Um, and maybe this brings us around to whether we're too reliant on him sometimes I know we've spoken about that before but um, yeah I think he was pretty integral to our chance creation yesterday.
0: Yeah I know Josh you wanted to talk a little bit about Rafinha uh, in your bring a topic section Uh, but and so we will we will cover that in more detail. But is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of this generating and taking of chances?
2: It's interesting that they didn't seem to even try to like double up uh, on Rafinha, um, which is something that some other teams have tried to do. Um, so I think they kind of m- made a rod for their own back in in that regard, and um, by allowing him to be in one on one situations. Um, a bit more, I think that, uh, I think we stole the ball very well, and that was, that was really important, so uh, for both the click, uh, disallowed goal, and for Harrison's hat-trick goal, that comes from us, um, that comes from us stealing the ball around halfway, Um, again, also the Dan James one-on-one of death, that was, um, that was, (laughs) that was Lewis Bate, Uh, nicking it off Rice uh, just inside their half and then Rafinha gets it and plays it to to James there. Um, And that's like at least that's three and there might have been more times where the press led to a shot uh, on goal. Um, Maybe we don't call that the press because it wasn't so much like them building up and us sort of squeezing as a team but it was more like individuals just steaming in and nicking the ball, and I thought Dallas was particularly good at that um yesterday um I think it was ailing who did it for uh for the the click uh disallowed goal, but as we've seen before, we saw it against Burnley too when we're winning those sort of individual battles around that area um that leads to to better chances because we're able to transition quickly and then it's down to can we pick our pass? And yesterday we did.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned in in the um, early on in this podcast that um, West Ham of the games against West Ham in the Premier League era under Bielsa have always been quite tight affairs, and um, part of me kind of thinks that the way that West Ham. Are set up is similar to the way that Leicester have set up, and um, both Moyes and uh, Rogers I think, are, are similar in that regard. In insofar as they're in a weird position where they're they because they are now pushing up the table and considered teams who should be at least challenging for Europe, um, they've they've had to move away from maybe their more natural. Tendencies as being sort of maybe deeper lying teams who hit on the counter attack to being teams who are expected to control games a little bit more. They're ex- expected to win. They're expected to dominate possession, things like that. And I think um, it, it, yesterday's game was, was quite kind of interesting in that respect because we go from a, a result last weekend where it felt as though they did all of those things. They controlled the ball largely. They didn't allow us any chances, uh, and and it looked as though they were pretty much in control. And then you get to to this weekend where it didn't feel like they they did that, and it felt as though more made some questionable decisions you've already mentioned like um cresswell leaving leaving Rafinha sort of fairly free, not not doubling up on him as well. Um, so I, 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 I don't think I'm going to ask a question here, but I do think it's fascinating that when we play against some of these teams, um, we that you might expect us to be underdogs and we actually come out looking all right. And obviously, there's a level to which, you know, when you get above teams like Leicester and, and West Ham, there are teams who are just going to blow us away. But I do think that those sorts of teams where, where we're definitely the underdog, actually some of these games um, and the style of play that opens out actually clicks quite well for us. And I felt that what went well for us yesterday was that we generated good chances and we took them when they came up. And, um, and that's what we should be aiming to do against a lot of these teams. It's just that when we often play against like the really elite sides, we just get blown away before we're able to make those sorts of, um, those sorts of chances. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that either of you.
2: That game, it did, it did play out even uh, in us winning. I think it still played out similarly to some of those other ones because if you think of the both home and away games last season, they were decided by set pieces and they had that uh Craig Dawson chance from the corner in the first half, just before they scored um, where they could have, they could have scored then too. Um, and if that goes in, that's that sort of changes the game, doesn't it? Like they, they score two corners in, in quick succession. Um, but yeah, like I I definitely agree actually that it 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 did have similarities to the Leicester game um for, from this season where again that was one where it was a bit of a a chaos game where like we probably left that game thinking uh we we've let uh, two points go there but equally Leicester still had a couple of incredible chances that they messed up themselves so it feels like in those games it's just like we'll give ourselves a chance and it's ultimately down to execution and in those games generally the team with the better players will execute better and so west ham have been able to execute better than us like generally but yesterday we had harrison have his best ever shooting performance for leeds and we had rafinha in his on his top form
0: let's talk about the impact of the injuries you and i josh disagreed about this off air Uh, But do you want to just run us through how you viewed that period of the game and how you um, viewed the impact of having to bring off Foreshaw and Junior um, in the game itself?
2: Yeah, so to clarify, so John's obviously said in the um, in the uh, summary about um, West Ham sort of pushing uh, higher out of possession on us and putting pressure on us like immediately after um, we had scored, which I do think is the case i think that they uh they obviously were reacting and thinking we need to get back in this game and trying to squeeze on us and uh i think very quickly after antonio had a chance maybe even like a minute two minutes after um which needed a block and and they obviously were putting pressure on us um but i kind of don't necessarily think that that means that's how the game was then going to go from from that point on i think that uh, if we'd kept that 11 on the field, then I think we might have weathered that and then wrestled back a bit of control. Um, but for sure, and junior having to come off sort of then meant that I think like it felt really like, oh, the momentum has really shifted now. Like West Ham are already, their tails are up a bit. And now we're bringing on two 19 year olds um and i think they kind of sensed blood at that point and that's when they had their two big chances one they missed and one they scored um so that that's my feeling that i think we would have got got it back on track a bit more um but yeah i mean even so we we came through to win it so I, i'm pretty happy about it
0: <laughs> yeah and just for clarity in my my position isn't so much about the counterfactual history because, like, we can't possibly know what would have happened if if, if for sure and Firbo stayed on, I guess. Um, But um I, I do think a lot of people said, "Oh, well, you know, we were we were definitely on top in that first half." And I don't disagree with that necessarily. But in terms of control and possession, I definitely think from the goal onwards, Leeds really struggled to to do any kind of joined up play in in the in the first half, in particular. I think in the second half, it was um, it was it was a different story. Particularly as I said after the the goal it's uh, the 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 third goal itself because at that point West Ham had come back into the game twice and uh, and and then had their their draw removed and i think once that third goal in their heads just dropped and it took them a while to sort of get going again after that which i think was really important because i think the the story of the game was that leeds would go ahead west ham would would push to get back in it would get back in it and then immediate almost immediately afterwards or uh, i guess a few uh, 15 minutes afterwards in the case of the third goal you were seeing you were seeing leeds just push back get the goal and and i think after the third one that made the big difference but joe what's your take on the on the momentum of the game
1: i do think that the injuries have- had some impact. Um, I think I, I think Bate was was okay. He was he was all right, but um, I think Forshaw would have been a lot better. I think his ability to retain the ball in the middle, to do those sort of spins that he does, um, shaking off um, the opponent, I think that would have been useful. And I, I, I do feel that we lost a little bit of control um, just due to two players changing and it being two such young and inexperienced players. Um, I think that's naturally going to affect the game. Um, so it, yeah, obviously it's hard to say what, what would have happened if the injuries hadn't have happened. But um, yeah, I, th- I do I do think that the injuries affected it for sure.
0: Let's talk a little bit about pressing. I mean, Josh has already touched on this. We had a lot of questions about pressing this week, and the general sense seemed to be that the collective pressing side of things was good. Uh, on my watching, I, I just I don't think really West Ham wanted to endanger themselves in terms of uh, going up against our full collective uh, press so they they largely sort of went long didn't retain the ball in deep areas for very long at all Um, but Joe what did you make of the pressing on Sunday?
1: Yeah I thought the pressing was was good Um, I don't think it was vastly different to anything that we've seen before Um, I think that Daniel James caused the centre-backs a few problems with his pace um there was at least a couple of times when he managed to close the ball down and um nearly got there um against Fabianski um even though he committed a foul eventually um I did quite like to see those runs where he's really going full pelt and I think um that does cause a bit of panic in the defenders um I thought the way that they switched, I thought our our front 3, the, the way that they switched men um was a little bit better than I've seen before, where maybe the ball goes out wide and someone switches who they're man marking and then they cover for them. Um that seemed to look a bit more fluid. Um and then this is not really pressing, but when we're defending in our in our own back third, um I noticed that there was a couple of occasions where we would double up on the attacker or whoever has the ball. Um, This didn't happen loads of times but it wasn't something that I'd noticed before and actually it did seem to be effective uh, maybe once or twice per half just doubling up and closing them down so there was a few interesting differences but overall I didn't think it was too different to what we've seen before.
0: Yeah I definitely noticed that in goal kick scenarios when it looked as though West Ham could have passed out at the back we went Man for man on their centre back, so Jack Harrison would usually. He would usually take the the fullback as his marking responsibility, but he was pr- pushing up right to the um to the edge of the box um, and and pressing up as as almost as a second striker, much as we've seen Arsenal do against us uh, a few times. And I think that's interesting because we saw that happening a little bit in the game last weekend, where we we talked about actually more in possession, but Dan James pushing out from uh, the left wing into a central space and leaving space for 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 Junior to to push into. But I wonder whether or not they had identified the two centre backs as being potentially weak um, ball possessors and, and wanted to have players around them just to, to cause them problems. Um, Josh, any thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I, I would think that, that that would have something to do with it. I don't think you're going to come up against um, a team that's high up the table uh, like they are uh, and have so little skill on the ball in their centre-back pairing than, than Diop and Dawson. Uh, I think they were there to be to be taken advantage of. Um, and yeah, we we did it well. As I think there was some good, some good like team pressing. Um, but like I said earlier, I do think a lot of it was just we were winning our individual duels, and that is part of man marking. It's it's winning your individual duels as much as it is like a a, a press that's like coordinated by triggers. Yeah, and I think there was comments that were made by uh, Declan Rice
0: after the game just talking about how hard it is to play against Leeds. And it's it's obviously that's the reason why, because teams don't often come across um, opposition. It's not just the high press. It's, it's the fact that teams don't ever come across oppositions who are going to get on your first touch every time. And usually you'll have time to get the ball under control and then think what to do. Even if a player is pressing pressing you, they're not going to be getting their feet in trying to get the ball off you until you're trying to turn. And I think a lot of teams struggle with just the unusual aspect of that, uh, man marking that direct, um, immediate pressure. Uh, we should talk about Lewis Bate, given that he was the victim of that unceremonious sub-on, sub-off treatment that we've seen a few players receive at the hands of Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, Josh, thoughts on his performance and then... In terms of his role, you know him him being brought on and off um, on on Sunday. How do you how do you view that whole
2: debacle? Yeah. yeah, debacle. I don't know. At the time, I thought, "What? Like, what's going on? Why are we doing this?" Um, but also in the heat of the moment, like uh, my emotions <laughs> were high, and the, like the game was mad, and it was just a bit like, "Was why are we doing this?" Um, with hindsight and um, having calmed down. I can see like why he's, why he did it. Although I don't necessarily think Rodrigo helped. Um, I don't believe that bait was playing badly on the, and needed to come off. Although he, he had that moment where Ailen gave him like a hospital pass and he, he got smashed in the middle of the pitch and, um, and then they nearly had a chance to sc Well, they did have a chance to score and rice sort of sliced it. Um, and then he had like a few moments later, he had a bit of a dribble in the middle uh, and lost the ball. Um, but we we did win it back quickly, but you could see that he looked like very frustrated with himself uh, in, in that moment. And then he was subbed off a few, a few minutes later. Um, but I think it was that Bielsa was in his mind. He was going to give Rodrigo half an hour regardless. Uh, one, because he sees him as important to rehabilitate and, and play often Uh, as the season goes on Uh, two for just seniority in in that moment of like this is a tight game and and I want more of my senior players out there I think that's part of the way that he thinks um that's just my guess but but that's what I think and and secondly I think I mean this might be thirdly now (laughs) but I think 16thly I think I've lost count (laughs) um (laughs) but I think he um I think he didn't want to take click off in that moment, and and I don't think that click should have come off either. Uh, so I think ultimately, if that's if he wants to bring Rodrigo on, I think he probably does have to uh, have to take bait off there because click was necessary. Do you feel
0: as though making predetermined decisions about who's going to be brought on and off is is problematic? I mean, we're talking now at sixty fifth was it the sixty fifth minute ish? it is after a, a decent chunk of pressure from them and then we've scored do you think that, that was the right point of time for yeah it was,
2: it's interesting because we obviously we've talked about this with a few people uh, shout out to udav uh, who, who said that um did did we think that um that bielsa was wanting to sort of maximize on on transition knowing that rodrigo's good at getting into space and and playing uh, passes in behind um maybe that's what he was thinking uh I, it's personally not the way that i would want to go because i when the game is getting a bit crazy i would rather especially when we have a lead i would rather calm it down and um, but maybe he's thinking if it calms down west ham will eventually score whereas this way we might at least make it four four two. two um so maybe that's the thought process i, d- I don't know but I, I i think the thing at the time that i was concerned about was how would Bate take it? Uh, knowing that he's he's nineteen and he's making his Premier League debut. Um, but it looked like uh it looked like some of the senior players sort of made a beeline to him after the game and even little I saw little clips on Instagram and stuff of uh, of the players all like applauding the fans and like Ailing and Koch have have gone over to Bait and they're stood with him like whilst they clap the fans strokes with him and I mean Strout can tell him I was subbed off after 20 minutes once
0: he also had a nightmare debut right
2: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so he can he can say both those things and say you know look where I am in this team now Phillips has become England player of the year after having been hooked off twice within half an hour in his first 10 games under Bielsa so I think
0: and regularly throughout his time right? there's there's yeah performances last season where he's been taken off at half time too
2: yeah yeah been taken off at half time several times hasn't he like man united away last season that must have really hurt him but it's it's about having that mindset and and knowing that that doesn't mean bielsa will drop you for the next game necessarily like he takes these players off at half time and then they start the next game
0: Joe, I know that you wanted to talk about this as your topic, so I won't talk to you about the, the Rodrigo sub in particular, but I'm interested in your thoughts on Lewis Bates' performance.
1: Yeah, I, I thought he was okay. I, do, I don't think it was anything special, but I don't think it was horrific either. Um, I can see why um, he'd, Bielsa took him off. Like uh, Josh said, he's not going to take click off in that situation and getting the experience on the pitch um, maybe is a good idea at that stage. Um and yeah, I think just to echo what you guys have said, I think it's just important for Bate to remember that th- this is just what Bielsa does. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't care if you've just got subbed on and he'll take you off again or subbing you off in the first half. So, um, that's just the way Bielsa is. And it's not necessarily personal to, to Bate or exclusively to Bate. So, um, yeah, overall, I think it was an all right debut, but, um, Certainly, I think I'd like to see some more of him, and I think he deserves to get some more game time later on in the season.
0: He was obviously quite pissed off when he was brought off. Do you think that maybe the issue here is communication? Like if 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 it is known that Rodrigo is going to be brought on with around 25 minutes to go, do you think there should just be communication in the dressing room beforehand that Rodrigo is going to come on? So, you know. Because it seems to me that like the part of the confusion there is that, okay, when you sit down and say, well, we're going to definitely bring on Rodrigo after this amount of time, then obviously if he's going to bring Bate on, then it's going to be Brett Bate who comes off. Um, do you think that sort of communication wasn't there and, and that's why he was sort of annoyed? And, and do you think it could be avoided, this sort of situation, by just being a little bit more clear?
1: Yeah, I think it could be. I think, like you say, if they'd have just mentioned that, then Bate would be expecting it. I don't know if he was expecting to see his number or not. Um, I did notice that when Bate comes off, that Bielsa gives him a little pat on the back, um, which is very unusual for him to even, you know, make contact with a player. Um, so, I think that was a sign when I saw that, I thought, oh yeah, that's that's Bielsa's way. I know he's very sort of muted, but um, that's his way of sort of showing a bit of respect to Bate, and um, whether Bate realised that or not is, a, is another matter. But um, I did like that there was that recognition, at least.
0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Well, enough of my questions. Time for you guys to bring your topics to the discussion. We'll start off with you Joe because it does fo- your topic does follow on a little bit from what we've just been talking about. So, yeah, what what did you want to talk about?
1: So, mine is just to do with why Rodrigo comes on basically I know we've just said um, due to experience and um, those kind of things but um, I did wonder that another reason might be um, to do with who he's man marking so Declan Rice was causing a lot of issues um, just by running through the middle of the park um, either carrying the ball or just off the ball um, and he was being marked by click for the whole game um for yeah even when Forshaw was on and when Bait came on um Click was on Rice so potentially I, i'm not sure this is just a speculation but maybe one of the reasons that Rodrigo did come on is just to get some fresh legs marking Declan Rice um because Bait versus Rice might have been a bit uneven just because of the physicality uh, differences between the two um and actually I'm not I'm not saying that this worked perfectly either because Rodrigo isn't the best man marker um, and there were a couple of times when Rice got away but it did make me think that possibly one of the reasons to bring Rodrigo on is just to swap that system over and just to have someone uh, with fresh legs marking one of their most dangerous players in the game.
2: Yeah. takes on this, Josh? I don't think it's what I would do. I don't think I'd be thinking oh we need to shut down Rice, let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's, put... let's bring on one of our worst pressers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah let's put rodrigo like i think if i thought that i would i would want to figure out some way to get dallas on him however the problem is that there weren't center back options so wh- where do you go where do you go from there other than going uh let's bring Noan kenner on <laughs> and put and put him in midfield and and, <laughs> uh, and have and have uh Koch move back to to center back ailing go to right back in dallas in midfield but it's just a mess isn't it so I, I think that the fact is the bench was just non-existent in terms of players he would genuinely want to bring on in that scenario uh, so it's possible that he just thought legs experience uh and hopefully someone who can because if you want someone to bring uh, a bit of final third quality then I would, I would hope for Rodrigo to be able to be that player. Um, so I think it will be a factor of those things. I don't personally think it's that it was like legs on rice. I think it was probably just legs in midfield in general. And I think that's fair given that although Bate had played half, that was probably the most intense game of football that he's ever been involved in. Under-23s football is just not at, at that speed. um, And... I mean, in my uh, impression of his performance, I thought Bate did very well considering that I don't think he would have actually quite been prepared for what that was like.
0: Yeah, I think for me, the way to look at this is that even if Bate had the best game that you could have expected him to have, I still think Bielsa brings him off at this point. Uh, and I think that's because Bielsa just, he just sort of decides about, about certain things. So he, before the game, the rumours that, that Rodrigo was supposed to be starting and then they decided it was too soon. So they they've then decided, well, we'll give him a certain amount of time. And I think at that point, before the game's even kicked off, Bielsa's been like, we are going to bring Rodrigo on for this amount of time um and yeah okay then then the decision is who do you bring off for him and again i just sort of think as you've said already josh it's always going to be it's always going to be bait so i think when you view it in that way then yeah that's bielsa's decision that's the way he does it. i think a lot of the time he doesn't make in-game tactical tweaks necessarily of of individuals but maybe systems um, but he has a, I think he has a very sort of logical way of looking at like we, and we've we talked about this before right he orders his players in his head so we talked a lot about Lewis Bate being behind Jack Jenkins in the pecking order um, and I think he does the same thing with all players all the way up the, the club in the top all the way up to the top and so I, I think he's thinking well Rodrigo is a better player than than Bate and therefore because Rodriguez can only play 25 minutes, then he is going to play those 25 minutes at the end. I don't think there's hugely tactical considerations that are going on necessarily to, when it comes to him being brought on. Potentially, if if he tweaked the system, then then yeah. But I just don't think that he did did tweak the system there. And I, I suppose my the only worry that I have is it's all well and good having all of these perfectly logical explanations for for why what happens happens. But uh, we had a long discussion on our Discord channel yesterday about about the impact of of how you treat players uh impacting on their development and uh i i have no worries about about lewis Bate in that respect but i do think that again as i said to joe before like just explaining yourself to players before particularly young players who are being developed who are being brought on for their debut just setting their expectations so that they know what's going on and they don't look teed off when they when they are brought off i think is, is probably quite important
2: I, th- I think one thing i would say on on him looking angry. Uh, as he came off is, I think, I think it was partly that it was just moments before where he'd had that dribble where he, like, he literally looked furious at himself. Um, <clears throat> so I do think that it's possible that, that maybe he, he did know a little bit what was going to go on, but he was a bit annoyed that he didn't feel he'd quite given enough. And, um and his Instagram uh post uh, from yesterday or today, I can't remember, but Anyway, I think he said something like, I've got lots to learn. Like, I think he was referencing the fact of like, I know I can play Better than I did, even though I don't feel that he came off because he wasn't playing well.
0: Yeah, you and I are both people who get angry on football pitches, so I think we can both (laughs) (laughs) get angry at ourselves, right? It's 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 the way that we motivate ourselves.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get more angry at myself than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure there's an element of that him
0: just feeling as though he didn't give as good account of himself as he could have done. Anyway, enough of these speculations. Uh, Let's move on to your topic, Josh. (laughs) Uh, You wanted to talk about Rafinha.
2: Yeah, uh, just just as I've kind of alluded to earlier, I think we need to find a way to get Rafinha in the positions that we got him in yesterday more often. Um, So we got him, we didn't have him like getting on the ball, like around the halfway line a lot or, uh, or in just on the edge of, of uh, coming into their half. So on, like we got him on the ball either in a sort of half space, uh, 30 odd yards from goal or like running down the line uh we need a way to do that more Uh i think as i've said already part of that is like snapping in and winning it in midfield and getting it quickly to him and having him positioned like a bit freer up the pitch uh or it's um like the first goal ailing sort of pings it from from the back just down the line and, and he sprints into space um I think it's sort of like I want us to be able to be going direct to him without sort of being wasteful in doing that. So um, uh, it's a bit of a mixed message for me when at times this season, I've been like, oh, we need to sort of control a bit better. But also in that game where it wasn't that controlled, we saw Rafinha like be at his best. And if you think back to some other games where he's been at his best for Leeds, I'm probably thinking last season, like the Everton game where he started and scored, and that was like a game of chaos. Arsenal at home, he played really well in that game, and that was like a wildly back and forth game. Leicester away, like that's very back and forth. Those transitional games do suit him because he gets a bit of space. Uh, And he gets on the ball high up.
0: Yeah, that's definitely my sense of it is that I think we've gone transitional a lot this season because last season we went transitional and it worked out for Rafinha. And I think part of the problem this season has been teams are just a lot more prepared for, for a transitional game and Rafinha in a transitional game against us and so in some games it's got to the point where we just look like we're being transitional for the sake of being transitional which is why you then said well we need more control we can't just keep doing this we're constantly sort of chipping away at the same sorts of things um, and I th- definitely think that's what, what comes into it I think the, the game suited Rafinha yesterday and that was why we did did so well at getting the ball forward and we we, we, we looked a little bit at, at final third passes because someone asked us a question about final third passes and it was actually one of the, the lowest performances in terms of final third passes but that's kind of the point the point is is that if you can get Rafinha forward into the final third in dangerous situations then he will generate good chances we generated a number of good chances yesterday almost exclusively through Rafinha Uh, and and I think that's what we're missing out on him Um, but Joe just quick thoughts on Rafinha there's there's only so much praise we can give him right?
1: (laughs) Yeah I mean he was fantastic yesterday and I think in terms of what we're talking about in getting him the ball uh, in certain areas um it's kind of a it's kind of a catch 22 because i think if you try and do that too much then you do end up being wasteful and teams get smart to it um but also even if say one every five times you try and do that Rafinha does get the ball in a bit of space then you know that he's going to create a chance from it or it's highly likely that he will because that's what he's so good at is you know running at a running into space or running at a defender 1v1 and he can just sit them down so easily so it's kind of that balance between having control over a game or just trying to ping one out to Rafinha and just seeing what happens and there isn't really a a good solution there isn't really a a, a happy medium or at least I don't think we've discovered it yet um but certainly I I agree with you that yesterday's game was set out for him to do well um just because of the nature of the game, and and he exploited that.
0: Right, enough of our questions, time for the listener questions. I have once again horrifically managed time on this episode, so let's try and keep the answers to these questions snappy if we can. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. Adam, Michael Finney says, what do you think was the best thing tactically that Leeds did in order to produce that win?
1: I think for me, uh, in the short periods of time, the sort of 10, 15 minutes that we were really on top in both halves um, we were mixing up uh, our build-up play so sometimes we were going long to with those balls to Rafinha like I just mentioned um, but also there were a couple of nice um, just passing in our own final third or p- playing out from the back um, so I thought that variety um, worked really well for us yesterday.
2: I think that's fair for, from Joe but I'd, I also don't know if I'd say much else that we did sort of specifically or. Or, better, I think I've said it earlier that I think it was a game where we did lots of what we often do, but we executed really well mm. um Hard to say why that hasn't happened a lot this season, but th- this game it happened. It
0: reminded me a little bit, actually, of the Liverpool game that we kicked off our Premier League um, era under Bielsa with where because that felt like... I mean, we created better chances in the game yesterday, obviously, than we did in the Liverpool game, but it just felt like everything sort of went our way and we looked dangerous and we, we were under pressure a lot of the time, but then in the, the chances that we had to go forward, we just took our chances. And I think that's really that's a really important way of getting results against those teams, like you said at the beginning, Josh, that you don't necessarily expect to get results against. Um Right. Question number two from Mr. Lomas, who says Cock at DM. He's really good, isn't he? Um, Josh, you're obviously making a video on on Robin Cock, so
2: you're the you're the expert. I I would say that at times I've not been sold at him in that role. Like I think the thing we've probably all got etched in our minds uh, when we see him playing there is, oh no, it's not going to be like Man United again, where Fernandez just ran off him all, all day. Um, but I thought he had full control of it. Um yesterday in terms of like not to say that people didn't ever get past him or anything like that but he played it in a controlled manner. Uh he I think he marshaled the space well. Um he's a good physical presence. Um prob- he's probably the best um physical presence there uh, apart from Phillips. Um I think he was strong in the air in that position which helped us uh considering the the players that they have. Um, so when balls are coming long, you've got um, two central defenders there winning headers, but you've also got Koch there winning headers as well. Um, and I think he's underrated on, on the ball. Um, there were a few, a few really nice bits of footwork where he just gets away from his man and plays a nice pass, and, and we progress the ball. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think I've come round to think um, that I'm happy to see him be the the main uh player covering that role, and you can just leave for sure, um as an eight, and and not drop him back uh, if if ever we need to cover.
0: Mm, is this a small win for John McKenzie in his argument that the defensive midfielder is the third defender?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll 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 let you have that one, <laughs> <laughs> Joe. What's your take on
0: all this?
1: I did have a thought that um one of the reasons why he might have looked comfortable you know aside from him just being a, a good player um was that he had he could have had lots of notice um that he was going to be in that position because essentially once Uente gets booked in that Burnley game we know that he's going to be out for this game so uh, you know I don't know what the time frames are but um, it might be that they've spent the last two weeks working on having him in that defensive midfield role and he's been prepared mentally for that and has time to look at some more specific details that normally he wouldn't if he's just drafted in last minute and say yep yeah, you're going to play DM um, that's just speculation you know I don't know but um, certainly that that could be a factor and I thought he was he was really good yesterday yeah
0: yeah, and I've not really been a prophet of doom and gloom in this episode, so if you'll maybe permit me one thing, I, w- I would say that it's probably worth not judging his, uh, his future trajectory at DM on the basis of one game. Yeah, for sure. it be interesting sure. to see what, what that looks like in the next few games. didn't feel as though West Ham were particularly trying to move us around per man marking so much, so it might be interesting seeing what he would look like against a team that do. Um, final question from Discord legend Jamie. Do you think there's a reason we keep conceding just after half time? It's a weird trend, Joe. What do you make of that?
1: To be honest, when I when I'm looking at this question, I I just have no explanation whatsoever. Um, you know, maybe it's to do with the team talks at half time or people changing their shape. But um, honestly, I, I, I can't really think of a reason. It, it is bizarre, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll hand it over to Josh if he has a better reason.
2: <laughs> I think the best I can come up with is that I think teams know that leads can go uh to can keep going for longer um than pretty much any other team uh in the league and Leeds will normally finish a half strongly finish the game strongly so I think they probably think at half time like right let's go super like super intense for the first 15 minutes because we know we won't be able to sort of maintain it throughout but if we can push then and score then that's our opportunity to then um work the game state after that that that's my guess yeah do you think there's
0: the leads have maybe concentration issues I, I it's not something i've necessarily noticed but for example the the jarrod bowen chance right at the end of the game oh flip that was concentration and
2: click are not looking at. they're not even looking
0: one of them stood in front of the ball and just assuming that because they're stood in front of the ball the pass can't be made and then the pass is just <laughs> made past them um which and which click is just me. nowhere yeah he's like he's bent. He's, he's bent over just anymore. being like whatever yeah. <laughs> 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 um but yeah i wonder whether or not like there's, there's a similar situation where you come back after this you play really intensely for the first half you have your heart 15 minutes and you come out like a little bit you're sort of getting ready to warm back up for the game, whether or not they just they just sort of lack a bit of concentration when when they first go out. But again, that's just anecdotal. Mm,
2: I mean, I, I think I think that might have part of it. And I mean, the goal the goal yesterday um, that felt like it was coming from like they were putting pressure on us, but also I think we invited pressure on ourselves. Ailing was really sloppy in that sort of ten minutes, and it felt like a goal was going to come from him doing something wrong, and and he did give away a sloppy ball and they they scored yeah we were going to mention
0: ailing maybe in this podcast but we haven't but maybe time is running on so maybe we'll talk about in the Q&A live podcast that we record this week because he's been an interesting player because some of the things he's just looked really good at since he's been back and some things he's just looked really bad at and it's it's hard to really put a finger on it (laughs) a player who we do need to talk about is Pascal Strauch it's amazing really that we've got this far without having mentioned him, actually. But um, this is the Statric Bamford section, which I'm going to, again, call the the Jamie Kemp Memorial section because we are once again falling back on Jamie Kemp's um, uh, s- stats for, for this one. Uh, so Jamie tweeted yesterday, Pascal Strauch recovered possession 15 times for Leeds today. Only centre-back to do so more in Premier League game this season is Virgil van Dyke, 17 versus Chelsea, Um I guess you've both heard of Virgil van Dijk.
2: <laughs> Just about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard the name somewhere but he's probably not as good as Pascal. Probably <laughs> not.
0: Those are the sorts of comparisons that that we like to see. Joe, why don't you why don't you intro us on, on Pascal Strout? What was your take on his game yesterday?
1: Actually it was a funny one and I I say this about Strak quite often where um after the game I wasn't immediately thinking oh He's had the best game in the world maybe i was just too caught up in the drama of the game um but then once i cooled down and watched it over again this morning um and, and i knew to sort of keep an eye on strap because um i'd seen stats like this um he did have a, a really really good game um i thought he dealt well with antonio um he's just always so calm under pressure um He's got that sort of mood about him that is similar to Ben White, where they just look really cool when they're on the ball. They just look really composed all the time. Um, and I thought it was a really fantastic performance, and he, he definitely deserves to keep his place. Uh, I know that is going to be back, um, but I'll be gutted if, if Strauch is dropped, um, as has happened before when someone's coming back from injury.
0: I think it's about like six weeks he's been out with this with this injury, and who of us can can say how hard it is to play after two of the bones in your foot knock together and you suffer inflammation, uh, that famous injury, <laughs> that famous injury. But Josh, what's
2: your take on Strauch? Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I think the thing that I love about him is I just don't ever worry when he's when he's there. I don't expect a clown car moment, and I, like I'm I love Cooper, um, but I always think a clown car moment is coming somewhere. I think that every time with Urente, but with um with Strauka i I just don't expect it not to say that he never makes mistakes or he hasn't had bad games like I can think of a couple of mistakes that he's made but um but I expect him to have control of of situations and he had control of the situations throughout uh, yesterday. He was physical when he needed to be he he marked space well um he used the ball well. And yeah, great, really great to have him back. And yeah, I think there's no chance of him uh, not starting the next game, given that we've probably got about 11 senior players actually available.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love Pascal Strauch <laughs> for, for, for all the reasons why these guys have mentioned. But yeah, uh, what what a, a brilliant uh, testament to our youth development and, and youth talent ID he is. Um, so look at this wild optimism from me i'm gonna to have to take a lie down after this before we do have the chance to have a lie down though let's just talk a little bit about the game at the weekend big game less big than it was for you josh potentially
2: yeah 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 i'm, I'm less uh concerned about it than i was uh before because i think i had in my head we, we wouldn't even though as i said it was possible to get something uh, i put i presumed we would probably lose uh yesterday. Um so that felt like unexpected three points. Um but obviously we wanna go three wins in a row. We wanna completely pull away uh from from those relegation spots. Um and yeah, I mean I think Newcastle will be seriously crapping it now because I think they thought they would get the win against Watford and, and put some pressure on uh, and they and they dropped points so it's a big game, but it's not sort of a make or break game like like it might have been. And we will be doing
0: a fuller preview of this game on our Patreon feed this week. Uh, what I will ask you to is that what is it you'll be looking out for in this game from Leeds? So, Joe, what's the what are the sort of things that you'll have in your uh, mind's eye when you're uh, approaching this game?
1: Actually, when I was thinking of uh, an answer to this, I was I thought about Helder or Hjelder, I'm not sure about my pronunciation, <laughs> but because um, I thought he had a good game, and we haven't really spoke about him, um, but he, I thought he had a good game yesterday. Um, some of his passing was pretty nice. Um, he looked solid. So it was going to be really interesting to see whether he retains his place um, or whether they juggle around the whole defence, because uh, I'm guessing Furpo will be out. Um, so there's potential that Dallas can play left-back ailing goes back to right back and then you have strauk and urente which i think it probably will be if if i'm honest um because bielsa doesn't normally um change much around from the sort of more experienced players um but part of me thinks i would like to see hielder at left back and uh, i think he deserves it after his performance yesterday
2: what do you think josh yeah i think it this my sort of similar uh, thought is what will our lineup be? How will we try to solve our uh, our new selection issues? Um, we've seen we've seen Forshaw sure say uh, today that he he's fighting to be available. I think I will presume that he won't be just because my own experience of hamstring injuries, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to come back from a hamstring injury quickly. Um, I reckon it will be dallas at left back um but i will have absolutely no issues at all uh if Yelder uh plays there i think he's he's been absolutely brilliant uh coming into the team and fair play to him because he's the newest of any of the under 23s players and and he's he's just looked really comfortable i mean he's played more senior football than all of them as well so that's probably why
0: yeah, well, as I said, if you want to find out more about that game, we will be running a full preview episode on the Patreon. I'll be talking to Kev Lawson, who works for StatsBomb now, uh, about Newcastle, and uh, you will find that over on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash stats aren't we? And that brings us to the end of this episode. Hope you've all enjoyed it. Thank you both for coming on, Josh and Joe, and we will see you after the game on Saturday.